Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Tin. I'm doing the uh, second Bible reading this morning. And the passage is taken out from uh, 2 King, chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. So if you can turn to your Bible, or you can uh, watch on the screen. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her son, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and took the man of God and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your son can live on what is left. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, thank you, Tim. Uh, there is an outline in your news sheet that you received as you came in. You might find that helpful. Otherwise, I'd just encourage you to keep your Bibles open to 2 Kings chapter 4. It's a lovely story of God's kindness from the Old Testament. I hope you're encouraged by it this morning. I'm going to pray for God's help as we come to His Word. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that You would help us now as we unpack Your Word together, looking at what it is teaching us. Help me to preach it faithfully, apply it thoughtfully as I ought, and help us to be once again captivated by your goodness to us, Father. Uh, your goodness that is so on display in this passage, on greater display in the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, when was the last time you experienced an example of just crazy generosity? Uh, last year, during all the global lockdowns, I read about an act of crazy generosity that really just warmed my heart. A man in the state of New Hampshire in the US shocked the staff of the Stumble Inn Bar and Grill restaurant when he left them a $16,000 tip after ordering a couple of hot dogs, some fries and drinks, the receipts up there. Now, I can be blown away by a good hot dog as much as the next guy, but no hot dog on this planet is $16,000 good. See, what this guy did was just crazy generous. And one of the waitresses who worked that night was quoted as saying, I've been doing this a very long time and I never thought anything like this would happen to me. Uh, it's just been a really rough year for all of us. See, we don't live in a tipping culture like the US, but in the US, waiters and waitresses uh, rely on tips to supplement their minimal wage. Uh, big tips, therefore, make a big difference, particularly in economic uncertain times like COVID and lockdown. Now, can you imagine someone being that generous to you? 
Uh, do you ever dream of kind of being on the receiving end of that kind of generosity? Uh, sometimes my wife Ruth and I will kind of dream together of a scenario where our landlord, out of just the goodness of his heart, just simply decides to give us the house we're renting. You know, we talk about the changes we would make, the things we'd knock down, fix up. How awesome would it be to receive that kind of generosity, right? Now, while most of us will never come across such a crazy generous tipper or a crazy generous landlord, each of us has the opportunity this morning to encounter someone far better, far more generous. You see, that's what this passage is doing for us today. It's revealing to us the almighty God who is both able and willing to be crazy generous to desperate and needy people. So what we'll do this morning is look at this short little story in three parts. Uh, One, uh, the huge desperation of the widow. Two, the huge provision of the widow. And three, her huge salvation. That's how we're going to break it up. And then we'll think at the end a little bit about how we too can be saved and changed by God's greater generosity to us in Jesus. So let's first consider the enormous, uh, the enormous desperation, the huge desperation of the unnamed widow in this passage. Now, just for some context, this account in 2 Kings happens in a time in Israel's history in which the kingdom is divided. You have the southern kingdom of Judah here, the northern kingdom of Judah up here, and Elisha and his band of faithful prophets has been preaching God's word to the wayward people of the northern kingdom who have been kind of led astray by a series of wayward and evil kings. So read with me in your Bibles, verse 1. The wife of a man, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. During my Bible college years, one of the messages that was repeatedly given to ministers in training was to remember to keep loving your wives. Uh, They did this because being the wife of a minister can be really tough. Uh, They can feel the weight and stress of their husband's responsibilities. Their household income might be lower than it might have otherwise been. Husbands often out a number of nights a week. Being a minister's wife can be tough, and that's why we were repeatedly told to keep loving our wives. Now, if being the wife of a minister in 2022 can be tough, imagine the rough ride this ministry man's wife may have had during the time of Elisha one of the company of prophets. See, this woman, this now widow, was married to one of the few faithful prophets in Israel. And I can only imagine she would have felt the stress of seeing her husband pressured and persecuted for his faith during the evil reigns of King Ahab and Jezebel, who were around at his time. In fact, we get told back in 1 Kings chapter 18 that Obadiah had to hide a hundred of Israel's faithful prophets in caves just to keep them from being killed by Jezebel. Now, perhaps her husband had to go into hiding for some time. Perhaps his ministry meant that he was away for long periods. See, on top of all these real possibilities, we actually get the sense in this passage, though, that there were some real financial stresses in the household. It would seem from verse 1 
that her husband had to borrow money to keep his family going. Now, maybe he had a plan to pay that money back, maybe he had some extra work lined up, but whatever plan he had, it comes to nothing when he himself dies. And so with the death of her husband, this widow, who probably hadn't had the easiest run up to this point, now finds herself in just total desperation. See, not only does she have the grief of losing her beloved husband, who in ancient times would have been her source of security and provision, now she has the grief of thinking that her two sons will be taken away as slaves to pay off that household debt. And you can really kind of feel her desperation just in verse 1, I think. You see, we're not told that she simply comes and speaks to Elisha. We're told she comes and cries to him. And, And you can feel in her words that kind of raw grief and even like perhaps a sense of injustice at the whole situation. It's like she's saying, Elisha, my husband was a good man who feared the Lord. You know this. But, but the, now this happens? Now I have to see him die, and now I have to watch my boys get taken into slavery, now I have to become completely destitute. May God help me. You see, in her complete desperation, this widow cries out to God by crying out to his prophet Elisha, and in a beautiful display of compassion... God generously provides, which is what we see next, the huge provision. Uh, Most of us know the disappointing feeling that comes when we get less than what we had hoped for. You know, you feel it in the small things, that packet of chips you buy that's only a third full, the Queensland holiday that gets washed out by a week's worth of rain, the medical treatment that just only gives partial relief. See, we don't like it when we get less than what we hoped for, but we love it when we get more than what we hoped for. I experienced this last winter when a generous friend of ours offered to give us some firewood. We've got a fireplace in our house, uh, and he had some wood that he'd cut up on his country property. Now, I had expected to kind of get whatever wood was left over from what he and his own family were using themselves, but when he arrived, I realised he had brought this huge tandem trailer full to the brim of wood just for us. He had made a trip to and from the country just for us. See, I couldn't believe how much wood he was giving us. It would keep us warm for months, but the generosity didn't just stop there. Uh, After he had helped unload all that wood, he then proceeded to give us this new wood-carrying sling that you put smaller bits into to, to not let there be mess in the house, I was just blown away by this guy's generosity. Uh, I had started that day with a few bits of dodgy scrap wood that was probably causing way too much smoke to our neighbours. I had ended the day with a mountain of pre-cut premium wood and a new carry sling. So actually, every time I go into one of those servos and I see those bags of wood getting sold for 15 bucks, I think, man, I've got a generous friend. See, isn't it just awesome when your expectations are just blown out of the world by an act of generosity? See, that is what happens here in this text. 
This woman seeks God's help in her desperation, and she gets a lesson in just how abundantly generous the true God is. She starts the day with nothing, and she ends the day with everything. So read with me from verse 2, because that's what we see. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Uh, Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. So basically, nothing at all. Elisha said, well, go around and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. See, the narrator isn't really interested in telling us why the woman is told to shut the door. It's an interesting detail. So it's hard to be sure. But I think maybe it's just simply God's way of highlighting to the woman and her sons that actually they are the special focus of his attention right now. But did you notice in verse 3 there that Elisha just expects God to be abundantly generous to this widow? He says, don't ask for just a few jars. It's like he's saying, trust me, I know God, he's not going to be stingy. Get as many jars as you can, because he's going to fill them all. And in kind of like this beautiful act of faith, the widow does exactly what Elisha says. In fact, she follows it to a T. You see it there in verse 5, don't you? She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. Followed the instructions to a T. And I just love her faith here. She is told of God's generosity and she believes it. There's no kind of too-good-to-be-true hesitation with this widow. At no point do you get the sense that she's ready to quit. At no point does she say, well, all right then, I'm sure God's just about reached his limit, helping us out here. I don't want to bother him anymore. Stop bringing the jars. No, even when every square inch of her house is filled with these full jars of oil, she still asks one of her boys for another empty. In fact, it's only when her son says to her, Mum, there's not an empty jar left anywhere, that the oil stops flowing. This widow starts the day with nothing, just a little oil in a little jar, and finishes the day with everything. Wall to wall, you can almost picture it in your mind with jars of all shapes and sizes filled to the brim with oil. It's kind of similar to the way Jesus abundantly provides lunch for 5,000 people just out of that little boy's play lunch. Many of you will know that story. God transforms nothing or next to nothing into a great big something. This is a beautiful picture of both God's power and his compassion. It tells us God is not short of resources. He has the power to bring something from nothing. And he is not short of love. He sees this widow's plight. He has compassion on her. And he abundantly provides for her. Now, we're going to think in a moment how this act of generosity kind of points us forward to God's greater provision in Jesus. But it's worth remembering at this point that God has a great ability and a great willingness to provide for the daily needs of his people. See, the God of this widow is our God too. 
That's why Jesus actually teaches us to pray to God, give us this day our daily bread. Our Heavenly Father cares for us, and He actually listens to our prayers for provision. That's why Paul tells the Philippian believers in Philippians chapter 4, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you actually might need to know that, perhaps more than others this morning, that your God is not stingy. Your God is not powerless. Your God is abundantly generous and loving to His children in need. And I suspect some of you have actually tasted of God's goodness in this way. You know, the provision of work at just the right time, the visit of a friend at just the right time, the delivery of a meal just when you needed it, the provision of grace or endurance that you needed to get you through a particular trial. God is powerful, God is loving, God is generous. See, we simply need to be like this woman and keep asking Him and trusting Him to help us. So we've seen the widow's huge desperation, then God's huge provision, and now we see the full glory of her salvation. And you see that in the last verse here, verse 7. Read it with me. She went out and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. Sell, pay, live. See, God's marvelous generosity saves this woman and her sons. Now, remember, this woman began the day with a kind of double grief, not only the grief of losing her husband and provider, but also the the grievous realization that she was going to lose her sons to slavery as well. But did you notice this woman's day kind of ends with a double salvation? Not only is she able to pay off the creditor's debts and save her sons from slavery, she and the boys are able to keep on living off the rest of the proceeds from that oil. God had saved this woman from imminent disaster and actually future disaster. God had delivered to this no-name widow a huge salvation. Within a day, her world kind of goes from complete desperation to absolutely wonderful salvation. Uh, One of the movies I grew up on was the movie Oliver. Um, The 1968 adaptation of Charles Dickens' novel based around uh, the story of Oliver Twist. Uh, As many of you know, Oliver was born and raised in poverty and eventually kind of gets caught up with the pickpockets of London. But in a remarkable display of kindness and generosity, Oliver is taken out of that world and adopted into the home of the wealthy Mr. Brownlow. You might remember the story. Uh, The difference in Oliver's world is kind of like night and day. He goes from grimy, stinky, corrupt, to clean, safe, secure. In fact, the difference is so stark that in that little bottom scene there, he breaks out into this song, Who Can Buy This Wonderful Feeling? And I think this story captures so wonderfully how good it is to go from a life of desperation to a life of provision, all because someone has just been generous to you. 
See, can you imagine the wonderful feeling this widow in our passage must have had when she saw all that oil and heard those words, sell, pay, live. That is something worth singing about. It would have been more wonderful than receiving a $16,000 tip, more wonderful than being gifted a four-bedroom house by a landlord. It even trumps Oliver Twist. Yet here's the thing about this passage. While it does give us a brilliant picture of God's huge generosity and compassion, in many ways this passage just simply sets the scene or kind of gives us a picture, a preview of the greater generosity and compassion that God pours out on us in His provision of Jesus to desperate and needy sinners. And you see, if you want to experience the supremely wonderful feeling of being, of having a saved and changed life today, you find it now in Jesus. Jesus is the one who offers to provide us with the crazy generosity that we actually all long to receive. You see, God saved this woman from financial ruin by paying her debt with oil. Jesus saves us from spiritual ruin by paying our debt with his blood. You see, in God's word, it tells us that there's actually a a greater spiritual debt that each one of us have incurred. The debt of guilt due to our sin. God has found each of us guilty in his sight for the multitude of ways we've ignored him. Ignored him as our creator, broken his commandments to love him and love one another. It's sometimes hard for us to fathom, but but our rejection of God puts us in a more desperate position than this woman was in, in two kings. We cannot pay our debt of guilt before God. And left to ourselves, we would face God's judgment for sin, which is death. Eternal death in a judgment the Bible calls hell. But you see, the good news is that God doesn't leave leave us in our desperation as sinners. Amazingly, He treats sinners with the same compassion and love that He treats this widow Out of his abundant generosity, he gives us his son, Jesus, who pays our debt of guilt by taking upon himself our own sin and dying for it at the cross. He pays the penalty of death. We are given the promise of life. Paul expresses God's merciful generosity and kindness to sinners like this. You heard it read earlier. At one time, from Titus 3, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That is kind of desperately trapped in sin and the debt of guilt. But verse 4, but when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us not because of any righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Huge desperation due to sin, huge provision in Jesus, Huge salvation as we see Jesus washing away our sin, justifying us in God's sight and giving us the hope of eternal life. What a wonderful feeling. 
You see, if the widow in our passage ever needed a reminder about how much God generously loved her and had saved her, all she had to do was look on her shelves and see all of those, all of those jars. If you ever need a reminder about how much God has loved you and has saved you, all you need to do is cast your thoughts to the cross. All you need to do is think about the generosity of God that would lead him to give of his beloved son for sinful people. Huge desperation, huge provision, huge salvation. So just as we come to a a close, what does all this actually kind of mean for us now? I think the first thing it means is that we actually put our trust in the generous God who richly provides for us in Jesus. See, we need to be like the widow of this passage and recognize, actually acknowledge our desperate state as sinners and like her, cry out for mercy. And we know from this passage and from the whole Bible, from the good news of Jesus, that God is compassionate and gracious. He hears the cries of desperate people and he responds. Romans 10 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God is not stingy with his salvation. He's generous. You just need to ask him. Uh, God's salvation is something we all need, rich and poor, high and low. And I was reflecting on that this week, uh, this weekend, as uh, we heard about the news of Queen Elizabeth's death. Because I actually think in many ways she kind of modelled that for us I believe she actually knew the message of God's, uh, the message of God's salvation, that it wasn't just a simple crutch for a poor widow in ancient times, but it was something she needed too. Uh, you saw this in kind of various speeches and at different points. Uh, she would often speak as a mortal person who, like everyone else, needed forgiveness and the life that is only found in Jesus. And so just last month, she said these words to a conference of bishops in England. She said, throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide, and in them I find hope. You see, she didn't put her hope in her wealth and power, which she had plenty of. She didn't put her her hope in her good deeds and service, which she did many of. She put her hope in the message of Christ, who died and rose again for us. And you can find that hope too if you likewise put your trust in Jesus. So that's the first thing I'd say. This passage actually points us to God's generous and ultimate provision in Christ. And it actually calls us to put our trust in Him too for salvation. But I think this passage also, as we come to a close, teaches us to love like the generous God particularly in our attitude to those who are in desperate need in our circles. You see, throughout the Old Testament, God's people are repeatedly called to love like the generous God that they claim to follow. The prophet Isaiah says to Israel, learn to do what is right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Basically, be like the compassionate and generous God you actually follow. And it's the same message for Christians in the New Testament. Think about how the Apostle James defines what God sees as pure religion. 
that is a God-honoring life. James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, how do we thank God for the generosity He's shown to us in Christ? Well, one big way is that we show God-like, Christ-like generosity to the needy and desperate in our church and community. See, if God cares about the no-name widow, actually, we should care about the no-name widow too. If God cares about the plight of fatherless boys, we should care about the plight of fatherless boys. Now, those who are in desperate need in our day aren't always going to be widows and fatherless children, but actually sometimes they will be. Uh, During the lockdown of last year, I was distressed to discover that an elderly widow in our street, uh, someone that I had got to know and share the gospel with, actually had a fall in her house. She'd been taken to hospital, she was in a state of distress and confusion, and the message that we kind of received back was that she would uh, not be returning to our street. So what should I do in a moment like that when I hear that kind of news? See, generous love says that I can't just look out for this widow when I see her on my street, when it's kind of convenient for me. Generous love actually calls me to give a bit more of my time and energy to track down a contact number, organise a hospital visit, go see her. Now, there were obvious hurdles to doing those things in lockdown, which I discovered, but the point is that if God loves the widow in distress, I must love the widow in distress. If, if my saviour gave his life for me, I can give my time and energy for her. See, who is it for you in your life? It won't always be a widow, but there are many other people who may be in desperate circumstances or just simply need a good dose of generosity. I was encouraged by someone in our church uh, a while back who um, was willing to just help out with a particular child with special needs in our Sunday school. That, I think, is a wonderful act of generous love to both the child and their parents. But there's going to be other needy people, aren't there, in your church? Those in your number who may be distressed by a particular physical or mental illness those who feel trapped in a horrible job, those who feel trapped in challenging marriages or relationships, those who feel anxious about their finances, how they're going to pay the rent. See, as you keep getting to know people in your church, as you ask those occasional deeper questions, you come across desperate people. And you may be one of those people here this morning, and if that's the case, I'd encourage you to share some of your needs with your leaders. But the generous love of God to this desperate widow should shape our love to those who are desperate in our midst. Now, sometimes that might require us to be generous with our time, driving someone to an appointment, sometimes generous with our energy, chatting with someone when we feel a bit tired, sometimes generous with our money or other material resources. But we are to love like the generous God. I'll close by just reflecting on one last example. Uh, In the first year of a two-year traineeship, a metro traineeship I did at my church 11 years ago, uh, I remember being quite strapped for cash. 
See, being a ministry trainee isn't a, like a lucrative endeavor. And that's why I was so encouraged by the particular generosity shown to me by a kind-hearted person following our church service one day. This particular person was actually a missionary that our church supported. Uh, He and his family were home on furlough and he had picked up a little bit of extra labouring work while he was back. And he came up to me after the service and just said, Chris, I've uh, I've earned a bit more money than I expected this week and I'd like you to have it. And then he put... 50 bucks in my hand. Now, that might not seem like a lot uh, today and to you, but it it was to me. And I suspect it was for his family that week. You see, that moment has always stood as a wonderful example of Christ-like, generous love. But how does that kind of God-honoring, generous love become present in all our lives, not just the missionary back on furlough? Well, I think it happens as we know personally the generous God of this passage. The God who reveals himself primarily in Jesus. The God who has had mercy on our huge desperation. Who gave his son to be our huge provision and allowed us through faith in Jesus to receive a huge salvation. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your generosity to us in Him. Uh, You did not need to save us, Lord, but because of your great love for us and out of your great power, you chose to. Father, help us to be captivated by that love, to be moved by it, to trust in you because of it. And Lord, as we go into this week, Help us to reflect that kind of love to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.